The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 602 for December 24th, 2017. The 3GPP ratifies the first 5G spec, Nokia partners with Huawei, and Apple confirms it slows down old iPhones. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Kicking off the news, a new bill proposed by Marsha Blackburn, a Republican rep from Tennessee, aims to fix, she says, net neutrality through a bill that addresses the number a number of items. First, the Open Internet Preservation Act proposes that there should be no blocking and no throttling of web traffic. The bill would make it possible for internet providers to create paid prioritization schemes in order to foster fast lanes. Moreover, the bill defines broadband as an information service and not a utility, something that would prevent it from being regulated more tightly under Title II. The legislation is simple, uh, providing light-touch regulations so companies can invest and innovate and make sure the internet is open uh, to 21st century standards. Uh, so in, in social media, uh, this was uh, was criticized a bit, uh, obviously, from, you know, just the perspective of, you know, what they're trying to do or what's being proposed here. Um, ultimately, after everything that the FCC has done to break up the uh, uh, the net neutrality regulations that have gone into place, um, this is not something that's necessarily going to happen overnight. Uh, certainly, it's only going to be go so far. And whether or not it actually means anything is a whole nother conversation. But uh, nonetheless, you've got uh, other uh, lawmakers that are taking a look to try and figure out other ways to do things to, uh, to I'll just say, fix what's been going on here with uh, net neutrality. Right. And, you know, of course, with this net neutrality thing, it is a big deal. It could mean basically the end of the Internet as we know it. But, you know, things do work themselves out eventually. You know, the, the, there's the possibility that, you know, uh, another company could come in or, or you know, people get enough uh, motivation here to set up their own networks using a different technology or using something that just bypasses all of our existing internet infrastructure. Uh, I mean, the internet, for example, is just a regular network that's just been built out. Somebody and a groups of people can build their own networks and create their own, what you call as an internet, just duplicating the exact same services. It's really not that uh, huge of a deal. And of course, you can interface the two networks. So if it gets to the point where Comcast and Verizon and ATT, all these things get too restrictive, people find the way to just bypass it. And, you know, that would be a long, long, long time out, but it is possible. Well, the uh, ultimate, uh, I think, you know, the end game for anybody who is is looking to um, do contrary measures to what the current FCC, uh, you know, commission has done is is obviously trying to do it in a way that would say, you know, we're trying to make something that's open and uh, to the benefit of consumers and not necessarily to the overall benefit of the organizations that are providing the services. But uh, either way, it's um, it, there are, I'm sure, a number of these things that will come out uh, over the next few months as we go through this, the rest of this process. Uh, next up in the news, Facebook uh, added several ways to help people avoid harassment on its network. First, the social media network says it's improving effects uh, like fake uh, in inauthentic or duplicate accounts that are created in order to get around uh, the blocking uh, of, uh, of the ways that they are using today. The company is currently uh, using IP addresses and other methods to proactively recognize accounts uh, that may be created by someone who has been previously blocked. The tools are being put into use in the background so they won't be accessible directly to end users. Facebook is also making it easy to ignore unwanted messages so people can uh, tap 
snap a message in Messenger and ignore the conversation, disabling notifications, um, and moving it to filtered messages uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, also, people can read messages without the sender seeing if it's been read or not and adding it then to a list of blocked accounts. Lastly, Facebook is working to provide additional safety resources for users. It has partnered with the National Network to End Domestic Violence to give survivors of domestic abuse an avenue to find help. Also from Facebook, a new feature meant to help people control where and when an image, uh, their image that is, is posted to Facebook. Uh, Using the same facial recognition functions used for tagging, Facebook will now notify people when they appear in a photo or Facebook event, even if uh, they haven't been tagged. This will only work if the photo is shared within the user's network or audience, i.e. friends. The idea is to make it easier for people to control whether or not they are tagged or identified directly in pictures. Another new tool helps to add a layer of security to Facebook. The social network will alert people if someone else viol- uh, uses the photo, their photo, that is, as a profile photo. The idea here is to prevent people from impersonating others. And finally, Facebook is taking steps to improve the experience for those with visual impairments. So people who need screen readers will be alerted about who appears in photos in their newsfeed, even if the people in the photo aren't tagged. Facebook says they've made these controls easy to manage with clear on and off toggles that appear in the settings menu. All the changes are being rolled out to users over the next few days. The 3GPP on Wednesday ratifying the first 5G spec, officially uh, termed Non-Standalone 5G New Radio or NSA 5G NR. The ratification took place at the 3GPP's RAN 78 meeting. Uh, that happened in Lisbon, Portugal, and that capped off months of conferences to push through the spec before the end of the year. Uh, the chair of the committee had said it is an impressive achievement in a remarkably short amount of time, with credit due particularly to the working groups. Qualcomm led much of the effort through their operations and other technologies uh, that are, that surround the world uh, that this is in. Uh, the NSA 5G NR spec is the underlying framework that will be put to use by commercial 5G products, Uh, or things such as towers and base stations. The spec uh, includes support for low-band spectrum, that means 600 megahertz, mid-band spectrum up to 3.5 gigahertz, and high-band spectrum, which is in the 50 gigahertz range. The 3GPP is still working on standalone, uh, the standalone spec for 5G, which won't be completed, though, until mid-2018. The NSA 5G NR and the SA 5G NR standards will together include the technology used by commercial entities, the air interface, and then, of course, the end user. The 3GPP said the actual technical specs for the ratified NSA 5G NR will be published in the days ahead. Not exactly uh, the uh, acronym that is going to just roll off the tongue. Not that LTE was an easy one to remember, but NSA 5G NR is something we're going to have to say a number of times before it becomes just kind of, you know, top of mind. But you got to remember, these are the early specifications. So literally, it will just be 5G, but these are kind of the the probably the, the working titles and the, the the kind of the temporary ones. You're right. But NSA 5G NR, <laughs> non-standalone 5G new radio, uh, obviously kind of a fun term. Uh, we'll talk about that, that NSA 5G NR. I'm just going to keep saying it. Maybe it'll, it'll stick <laughs> at some point here. Next up, Sprint followed Thursday with plans of its own voicing support of the recently ratified, ready? NSA 5G <laughs> NR spec and announcing its own plans for deploying 5G. Uh, the spec for NSA 5G NR includes support for up to 100 megahertz on a single carrier in that 2.5 gigahertz band. 
versus the current limit of 20 megahertz per carrier. Sprint holds the 160 megahertz piece of the 2.5 gig spectrum in the top 100 markets around the U.S., allowing them to offer this mid-band 5G to many Americans. The company is working with both Qualcomm and SoftBank to bring 5G services to devices uh, by late 2019. Sprint says it will first use a massive uh, MIMO and as a stepping stone to 5G, it will launch massive MIMO and its 2.5 gigahertz spectrum in 2018. The radios contain 64 transmitters and 64 receivers each, allowing for an, an incredibly incredibly accurate beam forming. Uh, the radios will be software upgradable to the new 5G spec. Sprint did not say anything about plans to support millimeter wave-based 5G in the high-band spectrum, uh, though they did say this is an important milestone and we're making great progress towards accelerating the development and commercialization of the uh, NSA 5G NR in the 2.5 gigahertz band. Uh, 5G will spur dramatic innovation and progress around the world, and we see a great opportunity to, uh, in mobile 5G, uh, the uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon, uh, all three carriers, all have similar plans and timeframes for bringing 5G to the market. And Qualcomm Friday said it won't entertain the idea of replacing its board of directors with substitutes nominated by Broadcom. Earlier this month, of course, Broadcom nominated 11 people to the be Qualcomm's board of directors. Broadcom's goal is to stack the board with people who would favor a Broadcom acquisition of Qualcomm. In response, Qualcomm said after a thorough review of the Broadcom Silver Lake nominees, the governance committee concluded that these nominees are inherently conflicted and would not bring incremental skills or expertise to the Qualcomm board. Qualcomm said it is uh, the existing board is educated enough to understand the markets, opportunities, and threats that face Qualcomm in the coming years. And Qualcomm believes Broadcom's initial uh, offer dramatically undervalued, undervalued Qualcomm. Uh, moreover, Broadcom is is not proposed uh, a way to navigate regulatory hurdles uh, that would f- uh, be in such a deal, nor has it shown in detail how it would finance the acquisition. LG this week said it is creating a single brand to help identify devices that include artificial intelligence. The brand is called ThinQ. According to LG, ThinQ will apply to all of its 2018 home appliances, consumer electronics, and services that use AI. The products will have higher analytical powers uh, and the ability to communicate with one another. According to LG, ThinQ can recognize, deduce, and learn from voice, video, and sensors. LG first detailed its AI efforts in January 2017 at CES and later committed to putting Wi-Fi in more major appliances. The company didn't specify how uh, or if mobile devices would adopt ThinQ or play a role within its AI-assisted ecosystem. The company is expected to provide more details uh, of the new services at this year's upcoming Consumer Electronics Show. You know, sometimes these smart appliances seem so good, but if it's not implemented right, it's just more hassle than it's worth. And uh, uh, that's what I just still haven't seen yet, where something that's really just smooth and works well. It's one thing to just put a TV screen into, you know, a microwave or refrigerator or something like that. But it's another thing to be able to track and what you have in the fridge and, and not be something that's so structured where you have to say, you know, the milk has to go on this shelf. But really, the overall, you know, fridge can identify what it has and what you use um, and whether or not you actually put in the information. It's be able to provide feedback to you on things that that you potentially need without you having to do really much of anything. That's where the kind of the future of this kind of stuff is. But it's not there yet, to your point. And it just doesn't seem like it's uh, it's relatively useful, uh, but it's coming. It will. And as the technology gets better, then we'll see more things and, and better proofs of concept that ultimately play out into consumer 
based services. Nokia Thursday said it has signed a multi-year patent licensing agreement with Huawei. Terms of the deal, including the patents in question and pricing, not disclosed. Both companies, though, make telecommunications equipment used by wireless network operators. Huawei also makes phones, which, uh, while Nokia-branded handsets are made by HMD Global, Huawei is one of China's largest companies and is among the world's largest smartphone manufacturers, uh, and uh, they are working through this process to uh, patent all of these licenses, or um, to get all these licenses patented. Um, the Nokia part side of this thing uh, said that they would be uh, this stuff would be appearing as a licensing revenue on its quarterly earnings statements, uh, but did not go any further as to what the specific details of this would be. In device news, uh, Apple on Wednesday confirmed that owners, uh, what owners of older iPhones have long suspected, the new versions of iOS slow down the performance of older iPhones. The topic gained significant discussion online due to benchmarking scores shared by Reddit appearing to show a correlation between new versions of iOS and reduced performance uh, of the devices themselves. Uh, Apple said that it, with that this is a feature and not a bug. And they said, quote, our goal is to deliver the best experience to consumers, including overall performance and prolonging of life of a device. Uh, Apple then said lithium-ion batteries become less capable of supplying peak current demands when in cold conditions, have a low battery charge, or as they age over time, which can result in a device unexpectedly shutting down to protect its electronic components. Device shutdowns are problematic for a number of reasons, including safety. Uh, and they said last year we released a feature for the iPhone 6 success and SE to smooth out the instantaneous peaks only when needed to provide the device from unexpectedly shutting down during these conditions. We've now extended that feature to the iPhone 7 with iOS 11.2 and plan to add support for other products in the future. In short, Apple says older iPhones will in fact slow down from time to time in order to preserve battery performance and then subsequently to prevent these shutdowns. Apple had had not previously disclosed this policy, uh, and it wasn't until it came to light online that this sounds like they would have that they were going to mention this at all. Uh, doing so, though, might have helped mitigate customer compliance if this would have come out beforehand. It's also worth pointing out that iPhone owners do have the option of having Apple install a new battery in their older iPhones, which would resolve um, at least parts of these battery-related slowdown issues, i.e. not having a worn-out battery. The cost to get a new battery from Apple is $80. Okay, so, you know, boiling this down, this is obviously big news. This is, uh, it's a big mess. It's something they shouldn't have done. You know, uh, it goes on and on and on. So let's boil this back down here. Let's rewind in time. If you remember last year, uh, around the fall here, there was this big issue where all of a sudden, you know, six S's were shutting down randomly. Um, people were having problems with, you know, the battery would be at 40% and boom, it's, it, it's just off. At the same time, there was a battery recall going on, and I believe Apple wasn't quite sure what was going on here. And I think there was a twofold factor, kind of like with the Galaxy Notes uh, 7s that were uh, uh, bursting into flames. There was actually two issues going on, making it much harder to figure out what was going on. Apple identified a batch of batteries that weren't good. Uh, at least they thought they did, and they discovered that uh, you know they they had a recall. So you know there was a you know bunch of batteries that got replaced, uh, yours included, Mickey, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, so that that was going on. But I think at the same time uh, in their research, they then figured out that with these batteries getting older, 
uh, that it may not even have been the bad batteries at all. It may be just a design flaw of the phone. So if you take this, uh, you know, the 6S has, uh, you know, a very powerful processor, and it also is one of the first phones that have a bunch of, uh, or have a one or two cores that really power up when needed. So basically the current demands, and current is the, you know, the amount of electricity that you need right at that moment, it, 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 it spikes very fast because it's designed to instantaneously turn on and off and unfortunately, you know, in, in Apple's wisdom, they keep making the phones thinner and thinner and thinner, thus making smaller and smaller batteries. But when you have a smaller battery with a less number of cells in it, you can't deliver a big burst of current quickly. You almost have to ramp up. So what they did was they designed this device with a very small battery with a big current draw. Works fine when it's brand new, but as the, the batteries age, it cannot deliver that current. So what was happening is they were shutting down as they described because the current, uh, the, the current, uh, the peak demand of the current was too much for this older battery to handle, and thus the device would under voltage because when you, uh, you know, the, the Ohm's law, when you have too much uh, current draw, your voltage drops, and then the processor shuts off, and the whole device shuts off. However, they should have gone about this a different way instead of just slowing the device down, which I agree, it is a feature, and it's great because it extends the life of your device on your current battery, but they should have told you that this is what was going on, giving you an alert saying your battery is now aged you need to fix this. But one year in, that's not acceptable to start happening already within one year. So, uh, you know, my gut feel is that Apple wanted to avoid the cost of warranty replacements on all these batteries because of the, the shutdown issue, which is that's obviously a big problem. It says 40%, something's wrong. Either it's not reporting the battery right or the battery's not working right or something's wrong with the device. I think they just wanted to save a boatload of money and try to, you know, uh, kind of smooth out the issue, placate users and not have to do tons and tons of warranty replacement on batteries. So un unpacking that a little bit more and, and going into kind of the real world, world scenarios, as you mentioned with this, um, it was it was very difficult. And if you, you recall, again, this was you know a little over a year ago, it was very difficult to pinpoint what exactly was happening as a user either. Um, in, in many cases, I had, you know, had this issue happen. Uh, my wife's phone. I've got multiple friends that had successes that were experiencing this co-workers. And to to try and come up with whatever a quote unquote solution was, um, was it, it just it felt like you were spinning your wheels as you were trying to do it because you would you would do something like run the battery all the way down because you thought it was a, a calibration issue with the battery meter and then charge it all the way back up. And then it would work fine for a while or it wouldn't. Uh, but it was just totally inconsistent. And so it, it almost was like, well, this isn't a, a, an issue with the uh, with the calibration, this is an actual issue with the battery. So then subsequently, when this recall comes out, we take our phones in, we get new batteries, and sure enough, it seems to solve it. So we just think, okay, it was just a battery issue um, that was, you know, it was indeed a bad battery. But, um, you know, as you then, as I've talked to people who had that battery replaced, and now it's a year later, and are starting to see it again, it was like, well, it wasn't the battery. So what's now going on? And here we now have an answer for it. Right. So, you know, instead of disclosing this issue that, you know, instead they, did, they, they chose to just basically give you, you know, probably iPhone six like performance in your success. And uh, that's just completely unacceptable for something where they should be telling you, OK, your battery is is no longer good. But of course, they don't want customers being com uh, complaining that batteries are now only lasting one year and it's non user replaceable. 
that's a huge issue. So they they really screwed up the design of this phone is really what it boils down to. And I'm now kind of concerned here what's going to happen now with the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8 uh, with these even smaller batteries. I know the iPhone 10 is big, but it's a, a very power hungry device as well. So this could uh, this could mean a big, huge change here for devices and Apple and how uh, it, it's, you know, how the whole thing is working and how they've now designed these phones. So it's uh, a big problem here. And I, I know we don't really see this with Android devices yet, but I, I don't know if they're pushing quite the envelope with the power demands uh, with Android devices like Apple's trying to do with some of their, you know, the 6S and uh, newer devices here. Well, and uh, before you go and throw your 6S away, there is an answer. Apple has implemented it, and that answer is slowing down the clock speed of the processor. Uh, whether, as you point out, Joey, not acceptable at one year that the battery is not able to meet the demands that you get uh, for the power demands for the processor, uh, but that is the answer is to slow it down at least uh, once the system can sense that the battery has got enough cycles on it that it can't provide uh, the power that's needed during those period, those peak times. Right. And it's it, it would be one thing if, if Apple was upfront about it and said, OK, so you, you've got a device here that your battery is going to last two years, no problem. But your phone is only going to be fast for the first year that you own it because of the, the cycle count. So it's it's up to you if you want to replace your battery a year in and Apple will not replace a battery under warranty under normal wear conditions. It has to be failing or crashing the device before they replace. That's why I really think this just stinks of them wanting to save money on battery warranty replacements. And that's where it's a really strange gray area. So, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is. They didn't handle this right, but Apple doesn't seem to really care anymore what they're doing, uh, except for selling new, brand new fancy devices that are nice and fast when they're brand new. So not uh, not, not a great week here for Apple. And this is going to really, um, this is going to be an ongoing issue here because this is not really uh, what they're selling. They're not selling device that's that's good for a year. They're supposed to be selling device that's good for three, four years. And and prior to that, uh, devices were lasting a much longer time with batteries. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that strikes me is that this is not uh, an issue and has never been an issue on the iPad. And I'm assuming that's because you've got a big enough battery with enough cells to provide uh, peak currents, even when you've got processors that have to ramp up very quickly. Well, yes, and but however, with the new batch of iPad Pros, I wouldn't be surprised if this is an issue. Uh, and of course, there's not really a good way to check it due to the closed uh, nature of the hardware system of, of uh, you know, iOS. You can't really get to the battery charge cycle count and the battery health information that Apple can uh, get to and also the CPU demands. Uh, and there are benchmarking, and that's how this was discovered uh, in the first place. But it's not, uh, it's not really easy for users to determine this information either. So it brings up, you know, all sorts of different types of conversations with people, uh, you know, everything from, you know, Apple slows down devices to the kind of the general, am I charging my battery wrong? Am I using my phone wrong? You know, how do I, how do I better, uh, you know, mitigate this problem from happening, which are all, all conversations that the general user shouldn't have to have when it comes to using, uh, you know, a, a personal electronic device. Right. And Apple should, of course, gotten uh, out ahead of this, uh, uh, you know, ahead of time, but they, they did not. And of course, I, I don't know about you, but even just normal, you know, news programs are just all over this. And, you know, saying Apple has been slowing down your phone always. We've always thought this is the case with old devices. You know, of course, they're claiming it's just there's recent devices with iOS 10 last year that they, they implemented this. But everybody now, everybody now thinks that iPhone is Apple's been doing this for years. 
And, uh, you know, this is going to really hurt their sales. I really believe that people are going to be like, well, iPhone, they've slowed them down. They want you to buy a new device. I'm kind of sick of that uh, behavior. I'm going to go to get, you know, one of those other non-iPhone phones out there. I don't think this is uh, good for Apple. And they've, they really uh, did it wrong here. And, uh, I, 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 you know, future iPhone sales are going to be in jeopardy due to this, uh, due to this because it's so simple and obvious and people can understand this particular issue. And it is, it's, it's a big problem. Well, not only do they understand it, they're experiencing it because, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, it's the phone, the, the clock speed of a processor is a little bit slower, but when it actually impacts the user experience is, is a whole nother thing. And, you know, ultimately as a result of the admission, multiple class action lawsuits have been filed against Apple um, in LA, Chicago, New York, and uh, Northern California as well. All of the suits allege that Apple slowed down iPhones in an effort to get consumers to upgrade to new devices. So we'll see uh, how those get settled out and uh, whether any of them actually uh, proceed uh, to court cases, which is very unlikely. But uh, ultimately, uh, when you've got these types of uh, things that come up, it's just, you know, more money out of Apple uh, as they have to deal with uh, the the backlash of uh, information like this that comes out. T-Mobile this week announcing a buy one, get one promo for iPhones. So people who buy an iPhone 7, uh, 7 Plus, 8 or 8 Plus can get a second 7, 7 Plus, 8 or 8 Plus, up to $700 for free. The devices must be purchased on equipment installment plans, and T-Mobile will make monthly payments for the second device over a period of 24 months until it is paid off. Further, T-Mobile is offering up $300 uh, in off the iPhone 10 when people trade in a recent iPhone. The $300 rebate is applied via monthly payment credits over 24 months. That's about 12 bucks a month when the iPhone 10 is purchased on that equipment installment plan. T-Mobile is offering a buy one, get one deal on select LG and smartphone and Samsung, that is, smartphones as well. Samsung this week updated its Galaxy A8 mid-level devices. The A8 and A8 Plus share most every feature and spec with the latter having a larger screen and battery. They have the Samsung 18.5 by 9 Infinity Display with HD2, that's 2160 by 1080 resolution. The A8's display measures 5.6 inches, while the A8 Plus screen is 6 inches across the diagonal. The phones share an octa-core processor, two cores at 2.2 gigahertz and six cores at 1.6 gigahertz. Uh, they come with four gigs, uh, four or six gigs of RAM and 32 or 64 gigs of storage, depending on the configuration. The main camera is a 16 meg sensor uh, with an aperture of f1.7 for a good low light photography. The A8 and A8 Plus pair uh, cameras on the front, uh, a 16 megapixel main sensor, secondary 8 megapixel sensor, both at f1.9 uh, aperture. Uh, Samsung says the phones can produce a close-up and wide-angle selfies and portrait effects with Samsung's live focus feature for adjusting focus after the fact. The other features include USB-C, fast charging, NFC, and Samsung Pay, Bluetooth 5, Wi-Fi, and LTE Cat 11. The devices are certified IP68 for protection against dust and water and are the first A-series handsets to support Samsung's Gear VR headsets. Uh, the A8 includes a 3,000 milliamp hour battery. A8 Plus is 3,500 milliamp hours. The 2018 Galaxy A8 series uh, comes in black, uh, orchard gray, gold, blue, uh, and run on Android 7.1 Nougat. They'll be available coming up next month. In software news, just a couple of items. First, Microsoft on Wednesday updating its Pix camera application on iOS devices and adding several new tools. 
First up is a function called PhotoSynth, letting iPhone owners create much wider and taller panorama photos. It provides faster and smoother capture and uses Pix's auto-enhancement capabilities to improve white balance, tone, and focus in real time. Microsoft uh, says the tool borrows some of the code from its standalone PhotoSynth application. A second tool is called Pix Comics, and it will automatically create comic book-style collages from video clips. Microsoft says its algorithms can identify and assemble the most interesting frames in any given video to paste them together into a comic strip. Pix Comics specifically seeks out three frames that offer sharp focus, open eyes, and interesting composition. People can then add speech bubbles as well as rotate and arrange the comic strip to suit their preferences. Microsoft Pix for the iPhone is free to download from the iTunes App Store. So the latter here sounds kind of goofy, but also kind of fun, at least to use once until you never use it again. But the Photosynth app, uh, I remember this. I used to have this and, and used it before Panorama came to the iPhone. This was back in whatever this was, iOS 6 or something like that, pre whenever pre-Pano was. And I haven't used it since. But uh, to see this now uh, updated in its Pix camera application might make it worthwhile uh, as a way to take some pretty awesome panoramas uh, because you can you can take it and you can go more than just the single, I'll just say, panorama that you normally do and you go high and low and stuff like that and it stitches it all together and it worked pretty well. I do remember using that back in the day and now it is built into this free app called Microsoft Pix. Also, universal binaries for iOS and macOS could soon let developers share code. Um, the interfaces between, obviously, or within the iPhone and iPad are relatively similar, but the Mac is not. Uh, according to Mark Gurman, though, writing for Bloomberg, he said, starting as early as next year, software developers will be able to design a single app that works with a touchscreen or a mouse and trackpad, depending on whether it's running on the iPhone or iPad, or on Mac hardware. Uh, Apple currently plans to begin rolling out the change uh, in, as part of the next fall's major iOS and macOS updates. Uh, the people who requested anonymity to discuss uh, on the internal matter said the project is called Marzipan, uh, and it is a one of the tentpole editions for next year's Apple software roadmap. Theoretically, the plan could be announced as early as the summer, as the company's annual developers conference is usually when this kind of stuff gets announced. Apple still plans, uh, plans are still fluid, the people said, so the implementation could change, or the project could, of course, be canceled. To note, WWDC occurs every year in June. Okay, so we've got a Mac app store that absolutely has got no traction whatsoever. So they're trying to decide a year, how do we you know, gain more uh, attention on this and make things a little bit easier for developers and get some more applications in there to drive more people to it, to sell more and to make more money. Maybe they should work on the battery. But uh, anyway, they, they've got, um, th there's a problem here because Apple Macs run on Intel and the iOS devices run on ARM. So the instruction sets of the CPUs are completely different. So they've got basically, I believe, just one option because, of course, they want to have uh, the iOS applications probably run it primarily. Uh, they may either be doing a virtual machine for uh, it to run ARM instructions on the Mac or they may be building in the ability to do a dual um uh, you know, basically com uh, compilations, uh, compiling of code that's Intel compatible as well into universal binaries using Xcode. Because the if you're programming for Mac or iOS, you still use Xcode for that. Uh, and now the Swift, uh, with the Swift programming language. So they're either going to be building in the code and making the apps bigger, or it's going to be uh, an ARM virtual machine that'll run on the uh, the Mac as well, which will make performance uh, probably somewhat sluggish on the Mac is what my gut feel would be if that's the way they go about it. 
I mean, you, can, you have to imagine, though, that they're as they're looking at this, it makes sense in in certain, you know, capacities for developers to be able to do this. And, and we could potentially see a much wider uh, array of applications come to the Mac App Store that are uh, useful and or really interesting for people to use. And on the flip side of that, um, you know, there's also probably applications that people love using on iOS devices that they would love to use as an example, like Facebook, uh, you know, something that you don't download a Facebook app for your computer, you just go to the website. But maybe it would be better if it was packaged up um, in an application. But um, I'm just not even talking about the technical piece of it, but just kind of from an experiential perspective. On the flip side of that, you've got um, iOS apps that are mobile versions of bigger apps. So just take like, you know, uh, just like Photoshop as an example. And, you know, it's much more watered down on the iOS side. So, uh, you know, I'm assuming that they would be able to do this in a way that would be enhancing uh, versus detracting of, of features. But um, then again, who knows? It's it's still kind of early to talk about that. Right. It's always a balancing act. I mean, you make it easy, simple, you, but you strip out features that you expect on a desktop computer. But where do you draw that line? And it's it it moves around constantly. I mean, there, there's, you know, it seems like we go through like for Evernote, for example, you know, the desktop version, you can do lots of stuff on. There's still a million things you can't do. You can't change preview pictures. I discovered you can't do this, you can't do that. And then uh, just a, what, a, you know, six months ago, Evernote just wiped away their their mobile version of the app and created something new that was disgustingly simple and it there's this big huge waste of space where you can't do anything uh and there's just and it just bounces around and uh, it, you know it's never going to equalize uh and be uh, ideal for every situation yeah and it's of course then there's you know the differences that you have uh for developers and how they've designed an app for the mac versus how they've done it for windows um which is a whole nother thing and that's you know um you know whether or not we'd ever see parity with that kind of thing is very unlikely because you've got different types of applications that are being written. It's almost like for just different types of users. Although in many cases today, you're now the same type of, you know, it's the same person that's using a Windows machine versus a Mac. It just depends on the time of the the day, really, right? If they're at a desk or if they're at their house. Uh, and, you know, so I think there's, there's still a lot to... Uh, uh, to, to understand about this and certainly this could fall completely apart uh, but then you know the the optimist side of me says this could be really exciting for those that are interested in doing more uh, with their iOS devices which I am um, and you know I, I just I feel like at this point I'm just hanging on to a computer just because because there's like this this comfort level with being able to sit down at a computer and use it because I've done it for so long um, and, and and certainly when I do sit and, and work, um, I, I feel like my productivity level is higher when I'm at a desktop. But if you're bouncing around to different spaces uh, and you're trying to open up a computer, wait for it to update, you know, uh, the information, whether it's messages or emails or file storage and, and all of that kind of stuff. And you got to log into hotspots and stuff like that. iOS devices, it's just always on, always connected. Everything is always up to date. And I feel like the the biggest, you know, that's the biggest benefit that it has. And if if we could see some of that come to the Mac side, uh, that would be obviously very well, um, you know, it, it would be it would be appreciated and it would be well received. So, um, again, a lot of stuff to unpack here still as we we move into the next year and and certainly no guarantee on this at all. Uh, finally, today, we've got one question. Uh, it comes from John. He says, hey, guys, John, again, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on Microsoft Office specifically compared to Apple's offerings? Uh, at this point in my life, uh, I'm just using them for basic writing. Uh, my s- last son is in school and he pretty much does everything in Google Docs. Last year, I retired and applied for a part-time job. My concern is that when I attempted to upload my resume, it wouldn't work using Apple's Pages format. Uh, will this be an issue moving forward? Just wondering if I really need to keep paying for Office. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work, John. So, yeah, I've used Pages a little bit, uh, but I'm, I'm just not happy with it. It does not open up Word documents or everything. So I deleted all those applications off of all my devices because uh, now uh, I've got a 365 subscription through the Office. So basically you install it on everything uh, to have Office, which uh, that's a great way to go. But uh, what I would recommend is going to Office Word Online where you don't have to pay for that. If you use the web-based version, it's right in the browser of Word. That should be plenty sufficient for your resume and you can actually get the Word document for it and upload that and I'm sure that would work fine. And that should probably cover, you know, I would say, you know, 90%, 80% of people's needs is just the free online version of real Microsoft Word. So where do you go to get that? Because I, I mean, I know how I get to Office Online through my exchange account, but don't you have to have, you have to be using Outlook.com as an email address or something like that? Or how do you get you it? You probably do have to sign up for a Microsoft account, but you don't need to be using their email address. So basically you just go to office.live.com and that's where you'd go and you create it or sign in. Uh, if you have a Hotmail account, you can just sign right in and just start using it. Mm, that's great. Uh, that was uh, a, a, a great recommendation. And it sounds like, John, that might actually get you, you know, get what you need. Um, my, my feeling on it is is a little bit different. I would, uh, I, I, well, first of all, I think Apple's offerings are, are just kind of like not even worth your time. Uh, Office is definitely king, as you know. Uh, but there are plenty of these solutions like Google Docs that allow you to do things just fine. Um, you know, the other part of it is if you use Google Docs, um, if you if you're not doing a ton of sophisticated stuff and it is probably about the same as the level that you can do on uh, Office Online, but you can then ex- export to either PDF or a .doc format and then upload it or do whatever you want with it. So you could do something in Google Docs, export it and then. Uh, and then take it and send it off to somebody. And then, of course, you can also re-upload documents and then edit them as well in Google Docs if you need to. And also, you know, I forgot that even the mobile versions, the iPad and iPhone, as long as you have a small iPad, an under 10-inch screen and and or tablet even of uh, Android uh, as well, Android devices that are small, you've got Microsoft Word available. Pretty much, I think, basically almost all the features are available for free and you can create real Word documents within those applications as well, which at first they weren't that great, but now they, they're very uh, comprehensive applications. Yeah, and I can vouch for that. I actually use uh, Word a lot on my iPad, not uh, through through the actual Word application. And this is you know using, saving, and syncing applications through OneDrive, because that's something that's included with my enterprise account. Uh, but I do that quite a bit, and it works, and you can do everything from formatting to you know, of the fonts and bullets and all of that kind of stuff, page breaks and all that kind of stuff that you would want to do. Right. And that's how it works on the, the basically the consumer side as well. On the live account, you use OneDrive to keep if you if you're using Word online and you were use want to use Word for uh, your iPad. I do recommend using the OneDrive to keep those documents stored there because then they replicate on both. And you've got you can edit them uh, wherever you're at. Yeah. The, the only other thing that I would recommend is that uh, you, you look at some other types of services depending on what it is that you're trying to do. And I'm guessing you're asking me specifically, you're asking specifically about a document creation, like for a formalized document or word or something like that. Um, but I have found that, you know, I have moved so much 
of my document storage, what was, I guess, what uh, the historic documents, what I used to put into a Word document, over to note-taking systems. And for me specifically, I use Evernote. Um, It is really my true digital storage system uh, with everything in it that it goes from, you know, show notes for the cell phone junkie here to financial and account statements that I can save on there and access them uh, through encrypted uh, notebooks that I have to, I use it for password password management and a place to, you know, make lists. So it's a, a very robust type of system. And if all you're doing is trying to create, you know, and, and, and of course, formatting works in it as well, because it is HTML. So you can do all sorts of different stuff in there and and have a relatively uh, good system. And it's very easy to search in there. Again, something that you would have to pay for if you want to use it on multiple devices. So again, you've got to weigh the, you know, the, the cost there, but potentially would be another way for you to go is to find another type of a solution like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Joey, your recommendation here on using the, the online version only is a great one, especially if you're just using it from time to time. I, I really like that as an option. Well, that's it for us today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, with show 603. That'll be the last one of 2017 on the last day of 2017, December 31st. Until then, Merry Christmas, everyone. And Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.